Tavis Smiley, and that is the iconic Stephanie Mills. We've been celebrating all day today, all three hours, because today is Stephanie Mills' natal day. Stephanie Mills celebrating another birthday today, and we love and adore and respect uh, Stephanie Mills, along with respecting the power of love. And so happy birthday today uh, to Stephanie Mills. In this hour, within the past week, San Francisco's Board of Supervisors drafted a plan that would support a one-time payment of $5 million to each eligible black resident. You heard me correct, $5 million per eligible black resident. Too little, too much, uh, enough to repair the breach, the damage that's been done. What is then the best approach to true reconciliation, healing, and restoring justice? A conversation in this hour about a damaged heritage and the best way to right past wrongs with J. Chester Johnson, who was asked, in fact, to write the litany of offense and apology for a national day of repentance when the Episcopal Church formally apologized for its role in transatlantic slavery and related evils. We will start there, and uh, I promise you, you don't want to uh, miss uh, the balance of this hour as we talk about uh, damaged heritage and um, uh, uh, a story uh, of uh, race, uh, of massacre and reconciliation that you might not have heard of, but we're going to get straight way into it in this hour. Jay Chester Johnson, how are you, sir? I'm just fine, and I appreciate your having me on your program very much. Thank you. It is my great honor to have you on. I'm glad we got an hour. There's a whole lot to unpack in the, in the next 60 minutes, and uh, I thank you. I uh, thank you for your time. I, I want to start with this um, because I was um, moved uh, when I had a chance to read your treatise. Um, but I mentioned a moment ago that you were asked to write the litany of offense and apology for this National Day of Repentance uh, when the Episcopal Church formally apologized for its role in uh, the slave trade and, and other related evils. Let me just start basic and we will build from there. One, how did it uh, come to be that you were asked to write uh, this uh, this litany, and then I want to talk about the litany itself. But how did it come to be that you were asked to do it? Well, um, I had I had been very active, and uh, I'm a writer, I'm a poet, and um, not an essayist. And mm-hmm. um, I had um, participated for eight years uh, in the retranslation of the Psalms that are. Uh, part of the uh, Book of Common Prayer of the Episcopal Church, and I had uh, been asked on occasion to do participate in other other forms of, uh, of liturgy and, um, and espousal of, uh, of various um, uh, Episcopal issues, um, and I was asked by the, um, the Church, by the by individuals out of their um, human relations and their liturgical departments mm-hmm. to to, uh, to to write it, and um, so you know one could say, well, what is a? Uh, I live in New York City, mm-hmm. but I grew up in Southeast Arkansas. So what is a white Southerner doing writing the uh, the litany of offense and apology? Uh, for the Episcopal Church, and so there was some pushback, quite frankly, um, until people started reading it, and um, 
after that, um, there was no even subtle criticism of my writing. And as one person said, why shouldn't a white Southerner actually write about the apology? So um, let, that's that's sort of how I got into it. No, let me ask you two questions about that. Uh, number one, how did you, as a white Southerner, who was asked to write this litany of offense and apology for this National Day of Repentance, uh, when your church, the Episcopal Church, apologized for for slavery and other evils, um, how did you process that pushback as a white Southerner? Was it was it ever um, legitimate to you? Were you offended by it? How did you process the pushback? I, I really didn't let it bother me too uh, too much because I had a number. There were a number of uh, of supporters within the Episcopal Church that felt strongly that I. I had the capability, the desire, the motivation, the um, commitment to racial healing and, and reconciliation, and that I would be an appropriate person to uh, to write it. And there was really nothing I could do about it. I could just go about uh, doing my research mm-hmm. and writing this piece in 2008, and I really didn't let it uh, let it affect me, and and uh, as I was writing it, and um, um, and I went to the 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 event was held um, in October of two thousand and eight, mm-hmm. and I went to it, and it was very well accepted, and um, so there wasn't, a, and as I said, I just didn't, I didn't. I, I had no. There was no reason for me to be um, active in my, in support of myself or or otherwise. Yeah. Um, again, a few, a couple more questions about that, and then we're gonna we're gonna we got got you for the hour, as I said. So we're gonna work our way into uh, uh, this text, damaged heritage, and this massacre, uh, and story of reconciliation that many may not know about. They're gonna learn about it in this hour. Uh, but again, I'm I'm really fascinated by this uh, litany of offense and apology that you were asked to write for the Episcopal Church. So a couple more questions about that. Um, number one, I had the honor many years ago uh, of interviewing Ossie Davis um, many times in his career. I was honored to interview Ossie Davis and his brilliant wife, Ruby D. these two brilliant, uh, not just thespians, but indeed public intellectuals, activists, actorvists. Uh, and in one of our conversations... Uh, in fact, I, I was asked to give one of the eulogies at the funeral for Ossie Davis. Uh, and it mm-hmm. turned out that Ossie Davis had done his last interview on my program. Uh, and so oh, I was goodness. asked by the family to speak at the service. So speaking of uh, Arkansas, another good uh, Arkansan named uh, uh, William Jefferson Clinton. <laughs> so so right. B- yeah. Bill, Bill, Bill Clinton, uh, Harry Belafonte and yours truly were the three um, eulogists. For Ossie Davis, wow. uh, at wow. the Rivers at the Riverside Church in Manhattan, uh, no less. Um, so mm-hmm. great, great edifice, as you well know. So Bill Clinton, okay. Harry Belafonte, and yours truly are eulogizing Ossie Davis. And I, I built my talk that day around my last uh, public conversation with Ossie Davis. And one of the things I asked him in that conversation was how he went about approaching to do the, to do the eulogy for Malcolm X. It turns out that Ossie Davis spoke for both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. That's a rare opportunity well, to speak for sure. yeah, to speak for Malcolm X and <laughs> Martin Luther King Jr. But I specifically, it's one of the greatest eulogies um, uh, I think ever. Uh, I wanted to ask Ozzie Davis how he approached uh, preparing 
to deliver the eulogy for one Malcolm X. And when we come forward, uh, as, a, as a white Southerner, I want to know how you went about approaching writing this litany of offense and apology for this National Day of Repentance on behalf of the Episcopal Church. We'll start there when we come forward and go from there. You're listening to J. Chester Johnson on KBLA Talk 1580. Smiley, you're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. We're so glad to have you in as we continue to celebrate the, uh, the vast musical catalog of one Stephanie Mills, who uh, is celebrating a birthday today. Stephanie lives uh, uh, down south, specifically in Charlotte, uh, and I'm sure she's in Charlotte, North Carolina today. I'm not sure. I'm not sure where she is. I haven't talked to her today as yet. I do intend to call her and wish her happy birthday. But we're celebrating the birthday of one Stephanie Mills today. We've been playing her music throughout this hour. And speaking of never knew love like this before, uh, Jay Chester Johnson, I imagine it took some kind of love, uh, some kind of love to approach the task, uh, the task that you were given to write this litany of offense and apology for the National Day of Repentance for the Episcopal Church. I said moments ago that I once had the opportunity to ask Ossie Davis. Uh, he approached writing the eulogy for one Malcolm X. So uh, uh, take me inside your inside your writing room and tell me how you approached as a white Southerner writing this litany of offense and apology for the church. Well, the litany had a principal purpose of reciting um, the travesties and sins of the Episcopal Church in uh, in connection with transatlantic slavery. Uh, and there is, in fact, a, a history of the Episcopal Church um, being, uh, at best, uh, insensitive to... Um, Black Americans and um, and and blacks participating within the Episcopal Church. And if we step back for just a moment, mm -hmm. um, before the founding of the United States, the church um, that was up and down the colonies at that time was the uh, a branch of the Anglican Church. And um, then the revolution occurred, and there was a church established, you know, became the Protestant Episcopal Church. My point being that um, uh, before the revolution, uh, the Anglican Church was the state church, mm -hmm. and there were, you know, there were slave traders uh, uh, very active in the. Um, um, in Massachusetts, in in Rhode Island, uh, even in the South, um, uh, and the church never spoke out against it. And then you had uh, the first Episcopal priest being Absalom Jones in in Philadelphia, and and the church really never recognized him within the context of the uh, of the organization they there was a separation a segregation and he so he broke out on his own and uh, created um um a, a church um for those who were 
Episcopalians, but were black and but um, they, there wasn't the acceptance of it. Mm-hmm. There were there's the the history of black priests in the Episcopal Church not being given assignments of um, significance up until recently. Um, that would be normally that would be given normally to priests. They would be given low-level positions um, and not reflective of the normal uh, progression of of priesthood within the Episcopal Church. So there is there's a there was a a large number of factors that I could identify as as being prejudicial and um, and otherwise um, not embracing of the black community within the Episcopal Church. Mm-hmm. And I focused on, I focused on that. Um, and, but at the same time, I, I, you know the phrase of uh, the, the King uh, phrase regarding um, uh, the, that the, um, oh, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm skipping. But the, the truth and uh, justice bends. Oh yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah. You talk, uh, you're, the you're, arc of the, the, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward right, justice. Right, right. But yeah. it bends toward justice. Sure, sure, sure. And so I built that phrase, and we use that as um, as like an uh, an anaphora. That was um, it was it became. A, a repetitive statement yes. before each of my comments about the sins that had been present institutionally by the Episcopal Church mm. and um, showing a combination of what the Episcopal Church had done and had not done, mm-hmm. but that the, uh, but the pro- approach was Looking forward in the hopeful um, by by the reciting of uh, of that uh, anaphora sure. uh, of of kings, yeah. so that sort of that was the way. Now it did take some considerable research, sure, uh, for two reasons: one, getting all of this material together, but but beyond that, studying the right tone because mm. i you know getting the tone correct yes it's one thing for a white southerner to write this um, um but a white southerner's viewpoint even if i am strong strongly in support of racial healing and racial reconciliation i needed to make sure that the tone was aggressive enough edgy enough mm. and but truthful enough that it that it captured the moment in a way that that um that black episcopalians would would feel comfortable let me tell you that this. was a that was somewhat of a challenge well, and, and but i but i think i got there no oh no let me, let me say that you, you let me let me just concur you didn't you didn't you don't have to think you got there you got there uh i had a chance okay. to uh, i had a chance to to review it 
And let me just say, in our nomenclature today, you killed it. You slayed that thing. Um, well, that's, thank you so no, much. No, man, you laid that thing out beautifully. Uh, white Southern notwithstanding, you laid it out beautifully. And let me just say, uh, this audience knows that I regard Dr. King as the greatest American this country has ever produced. That's my own assessment. Uh, he's the greatest American we produced. And uh, the, the, the way uh, that you used uh, time and time again that refrain, that refrain, that you referenced earlier, that the arc of the Moore universe is long, but it bends toward justice. Uh, it was a powerful refrain. I thought it was beautifully uh, used. Uh, and uh, I, I, I wanted to start our conversation here in the first half hour uh, because I, I, again, so was so humbled uh, when I got a chance to read what you wrote uh, in this litany of offense and apology uh, for the Episcopal Church on their National Day of Repentance for all that they had done or not done, as you put it, vis-a-vis transatlantic slavery and other related evils. Let me ask this, perhaps, as the exit question on this particular subject matter, and then I, I want to expose the audience to uh, the book that you've written, uh, Damaged Heritage, The Elaine Race Massacre, and a Story of Reconciliation. It won't surprise you, given what you've already heard, uh, about the backstory of this brilliant writer and essayist J. Chester Johnson, that he would put uh, his uh, his research, uh, uh, his time, his attention uh, on this massacre uh, and a story of reconciliation that you might not have heard. Uh, we'll get straight away into that in just a moment. Uh, before I do that, though, let me ask you this, and, and please understand, uh, Mr. Johnson, that I am not in any way casting aspersion on the Episcopal Church because we could run the list of all the denominations <laughs> who have some apologies that they need to be offering. But I do, but I do want to close this part of our conversation by asking you, as a longtime member of the Episcopal Church, when you got into the research and you saw all the ways in which the church had, by omission or commission, uh, disrespected um, black life uh, in this country, as a member of that, uh, that body, how, how did you process that? Well, um, that's it's a great question, and I um, I process it in two ways. Mm-hmm. One is that um, uh, I look at the institution and I try to um, pressure the the institution um, to be as progressive as possible mm. in its attitudes and in, in, in its behavior. Yes. Um, but at the same time, um, I, I believe that the initiative for a lot of the racial healing and, and reconciliation has to be done on one-to-one basis. Mm-hmm. I'm not, I am not as, sold as I would say that a large number of Episcopalians are, even non-Episcopalians, that institutions will have uh, ultimately, we, we tend to rely, I think, too much on institutions. Do. Mm-hmm. So I, as far as my own personal participation in this area, either through the writing about it or the presentation uh, I, I talk about this frequently at, at churches and in other that I stress the need for one to one 
commitment and um, integration, if you will, allyship. Sure. Um, and in fact, part of the book that you're referring to um, deals with a the relationship that developed um, between Sheila Walker and me. Sheila Walker being um, a, a, an ancestor of some of the victims of the massacre, and with me, who had a maternal grandfather who actually participated in the massacre. And right, hold, hold, that thought, hold, that, hold, hold that thought, Mr. Johnson. Now you're jumping ahead of me. I ain't mad at you. but I'm, <laughs> I ain't mad at you for jumping, but I'm looking at my clock. I've got news, traffic, and sports in about 30 seconds, uh, and now you, you're making that pivot. You're making that turn for me, and I, I want to make sure that we, that we do this together. Uh, speaking of reconciliation, we're going to do this together, brother. Uh, the book is called Damaged Heritage, the Elaine Race Massacre and a Story of Reconciliation. He already teed this up. Sheila L. Walker, a descendant of these African-American victims in this massacre. And J. Chester Johnson discovered that he had uh, he had uh, ancestors who were involved in the massacre, and the two of them end up connecting. Wait until you hear this story, but you hear his point right now. If we're going to do better in this country, it's not about the institutions. It's about the individuals, and I might add, institutions are made up of individuals anyway, but I take his point loud and clear. We'll continue with this story. Uh, about damaged heritage with J. Chester Johnson after news, traffic, and sports on KBLA Talk 1580. Happy birthday to uh, Stephanie Mills. Celebrating another birthday today, and we've been playing her music in and out of our talk segments throughout our three-hour program today. So again, happy birthday to uh, the incomparable Stephanie Mills. In this hour, we continue our conversation with Jay Chester Johnson, uh, who was uh, was asked uh, in 2008 to write the litany of offense and apology for a National Day of Repentance, where the Episcopal Church formally apologized for its role in transatlantic slavery and related evils. In his research, Johnson came up with a treatise by historian and anti-lynching advocate Ida B. Wells, mentioned earlier on this program today on the Elaine massacre where more than a hundred and possibly hundreds of black men, women, and children perished at the hands of white posses, vigilantes, and federal troops in rural Phillips County, Arkansas. You heard uh, J. Chester Johnson say earlier in this conversation that he is from Arkansas, lives in New York. He ain't lost his accent though. He's still in Arkansas, uh, uh, but he's uh, in New York. Uh, and so he's researching uh, what happened in his home state of Arkansas. Um, he's researching this 1919 Elaine race massacre, which is arguably one of the worst in our nation's history. It has been widely unknown for the better part of a century, thanks to the whitewashing of history, but one of the worst race massacres in this nation's history, the Elaine race massacre of 1919. So J. Chester Johnson, who's asked to write this apology for the Episcopal Church, where he's invoking Dr. King, that the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. He's doing his research, right? And as he's doing his research about his home state of Arkansas, he makes a gruesome discovery. What was that discovery, J. Chester Johnson? Well, I first of all, I... Um 
discovered um, this event, the Elaine Race Massacre, which occurred one county removed from where I grew up, and and as you indicated, a hundred more than a hundred and possibly hundreds of African Americans were killed in this massacre, and I had never heard about it. Mm-hmm. And I, I and I checked with a number of people I'd, I'd gone to high school with, and all, and maybe one or two of them had heard about it, and but very didn't didn't really know much. No, know much about it, and um, then as I did more research into and and recalling cam family um, comments because I grew up in a racist family in a racist region, and um, and the comments about um, the KKK. My grandfather was in the KKK, and um, so it would have been. It's a topic of of, uh, of conversation to hear about a massacre when I was growing up, and mm-hmm. I had heard, but not about Elaine. Then, as I did my research, and that I'm sorry, I left out a quick one, and that our my maternal grandfather had participated in a in in a well quote well known race massacre. That's the way it was discussed by mm-hmm. particularly by my mother. And then, as I did my research, I con- I found out that the mess the massacre in which Lonnie Birch, my grandfather, participated in, was in fact Elaine. Mm. And um, mm. uh, and it came through uh, in various ways. He his whole his whole life he worked for the Missouri Pacific Railroad, and the Missouri Pacific Railroad was up to its eyeballs in its role in this massacre um, uh, from from killing African Americans uh, in the cotton fields of Phillips Phillips County to torturing witnesses following the massacre when um, one hundred and twenty two African Americans were indicted for various crimes. Uh, and of course, there was no white uh, individual who was ever indicted. Um, but uh, and then the 122 translated into 74, who uh, 12 of whom were slated to be executed, and the other, the others uh, serving uh, prison sentences in the um, prison farm system mm-hmm. in, in in Arkansas. But so I mean, the, it, he had, and so there were fellow employees. There were employees in from the Missouri Pacific Railroad who had worked with who worked with Lonnie who were you know they were sort of shoulder to shoulder in dealing with um, and in participating in this massacre. Yeah. So. Um, so 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 Lonnie Birch, uh, your your maternal grandfather, you discover in your research while you're working on writing this uh, litany of offense and apology for your church, the Episcopal Church, you discover that your maternal grandfather, uh, Lonnie Birch, participated in uh, arguably the worst um, uh, race massacre in our nation's history, which had been hidden, uh, again, from you and for so many others and all the rest of us, for that matter, for all this time. Um, 
how did you, before I get to Sheila Walker, the name you referenced earlier before News Traffic and Sports, and how she fits into this story, this black woman, a descendant of these African-American victims of the massacre. Before we get to Sheila, uh, how, how did you process, I mean, you'd heard about these, you know, things going up in Arkansas, but how did you process that, that, that your mother's father, that your maternal grandfather participated in this massacre? I asked you earlier about being an Episcopalian, but how did you process that? This is even closer to home. Your grandfather was involved in a massacre. How did you deal with that? Well, it, obviously, it was very hard for me, but it, but beyond his being just my mother's father, my my father died when he when when I was one, and my mother didn't do well for a number of years. So I actually lived with Lonnie for the first five years of my life, Lord and he was he was the primary caretaker of me. Um, I mean, fa- the family joke was, you know. I was his retirement project, and so, um, it, you know, we were very, very, we were very close, mm. and the idea that he could, he could do what he did, uh, it was extremely hard for me to deal with, and if you don't mind, I want to just segue, there was an event held in the uh, lower part of Manhattan, and September of 2014, where Sheila and I had talked about um, uh, the massacre and, and 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 how it started and the you know what had happened and mm-hmm. why it was unknown and all the rest. And in the middle of her presentation, she said, "I forgive Lonnie more than Chester does," and that was actually an understatement. I it was. I had a, I, I I still haven't fully taken that step of of forgiving Lonnie for yeah I mean he was this wonderful person who took care of me when I was most vulnerable but at the same time he was this uh, you know atrocious participant in the killing of of African Americans and and I'm still not in I I'm, I still haven't done that i haven't made that reconciliation sorry i'm gonna let that sit just for a second let that sit for just a second uh so we can all breathe and when we come forward uh we'll continue our conversation with uh jay chester johnson about this book damaged heritage the elaine race massacre and a story of reconciliation while he is not completely reconciled as he said with his own uh, maternal grandfather uh, he did spend some time with this uh, woman named Sheila L. Walker, who he referenced earlier. And uh, the story of how the two of them got together is beyond fascinating. And uh, Chester, uh, J. Chester Johnson will tell us that when we come forward on KBLA Talk 50. In fact, you're listening to J. Chester Johnson, a poet, essayist, translator, the author of uh, this book, Damaged Heritage, the Elaine Race Massacre and a Story of Reconciliation, while he, as I said earlier, is still wrestling with... Um, reconciling with his now deceased uh, maternal grandfather, uh, Lonnie Birch. Um, he did uh, stock up a good friendship uh, that lasted for some time with Sheila L. Walker, who was a descendant of African-American victims of the massacre in which his grandfather killed, was involved in the killing, the murder of African-Americans in, in Arkansas. Um, Ms. Walker passed away in 2021. Uh, but tell me in the few minutes I have left here, um, uh, Chester Johnson about Sheila Walker and how the two of you actually connected. 
Well, there was an author who got us together, and um, our first com- telephone conversation lasted for two hours, uh, over two hours, and uh, we decided there and then that we needed to meet in person, which we did um, in March of uh, 2014 at her son's house in Boston. And when we we first saw each other, we embraced, and I, I and we embraced for a long time. And it was as though we were going to be in juxtaposition; that our relationship was going to be in juxtaposition to what had happened in the uh, cotton fields of Phillips County in 1919. Um, so, an obverse reflection of that in in so many so many ways. Um, but I worried that my, the role that my grandfather had played in this massacre would somehow interfere with the relationship that I certainly wanted to develop with Sheila, um, um, as we worked together in not only coming to the, the, the factual basis of of the massacre, but also going beyond that and being in juxtaposition to it. Um, but Sheila's remarkable ability to forgive, and I've already just mentioned um, what she said at this symposium that she, where she and I spoke, and mm-hmm. she said, I forgive Lonnie more than Chester does. It... it by doing that, it removed the potential pall, if you will, of of my my being akin to a participant in this massacre, and it. But it went beyond that. I mean, I, I um, the the relationship that Sheila and I had, which actually extended to our respective spouses and. And 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 children um, was was really extraordinary. And I, but I give her uh, the vast amount of credit for the, for that because I I'm sure she understood that there were reservations on my part. I was so concerned that this would be a, that my grandfather's role would be a pall over the potential relationship mm. and that and her forgiveness. And in fact, it, it, up to two weeks before she died, she just kept pressing, Chester, you, the, the, the very characteristics that I admire in you, they don't come through as thoroughly because you can't forgive your grandfather. You've got to go ahead and forgive your grandfather. And it, but, um, and she would actually be angry about it. And, um, it, she was a, just a marvelous, yeah. wonderful person. And in fact, their family, I, one of the great honors I had was they asked me to, at her service, that uh, her funeral, uh, a memorial service, 
to do to give the eulogy, mm. which was a great honor of mine. I can only imagine. I can only imagine. I'm sure there wasn't a dry eye in the house that day. Uh, J. Chester Johnson has written extensively about civil rights and race relations. As I said he's a poet, essayist, translator. We've been talking about his book today, Damaged Heritage, the Elaine Race Massacre and a Story of Reconciliation. Um, several of his pieces are part of the J. Chester Johnson Collection in the uh, Civil Rights Archives at Queens College in New York City. Uh, when we come forward in our remaining moments with him, I bring this conversation full circle. I started by telling you that recently uh, the Board of Supervisors in San Francisco have uh, been working on a draft um, to offer uh, $5 million uh, per eligible uh, African-American in reparations, and that uh, has kicked up quite the conversation in this state uh, of California and beyond the nation and I'm curious, as we wrap our conversation with uh, J. Chester Johnson, of his thoughts on the matter of reparations. We'll get that thought when we come forward on KBLA Talk 15. Let's get back to our guest in this hour, J. Chester Johnson. We've got about uh, three minutes left in this conversation. Just enough time to ask uh, J. Chester Johnson, given that he's the one who got the call, uh, got the assignment to write the litany of offense and apology for National Day of Repentance, when the Episcopal Church formally apologized for its role in transatlantic slavery and related evils, he's the one who authored this book, uh, Damaged Heritage, the Elaine Race Massacre, and a story of reconciliation and discovered in the process of researching that his maternal grandfather, Lonnie Birch, had been involved in the worst race massacre in this country's history, uh, helping to murder uh, African Americans. Given all that backstory, and all the other writings he's done about civil rights and race relations. I close with these last couple of minutes asking J. Chester Johnson what he makes of the notion of reparations, sir. Yes, um, I have a couple of thoughts on it. One, of course, I think that there needs to be um, uh, reparations in 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 the context of. Uh, um, uh, of, uh, of making up uh, in the same form as affirmative action um, and that sort of thing. Um, I do, um, and I say, and there are. Uh, we talked earlier about the Episcopal Church. Um, the, there are many dioceses uh, who are actively engaged in coming to terms with uh, reparations. Mm-hmm. I do worry, though, as I made reference earlier, I I think that the one-to-one relationships need to be worked on and um, and that individuals come black, come uh, white to black, black to white, and um, in in development of allyships uh, in some ways, I believe are as critical as as money, mm-hmm. and um, I'm somewhat concerned that um, there'll be a number of institutions who will feel free to um, disregard um, the enhancement of those relationships um, after having uh, supported uh, money participation in in reparations mm-hmm. that money. You know, somehow solves my conscience and saw saw um, softens the uh, the attacks on uh, on on institutions and moneyed individuals. Um, 
uh, as a result of reparations. So sure. I, I, I do worry about that nope. as being, you know, uh, as, as being on the, the, uh, the side of, um, that is, uh, less hopeful yeah. for, uh, longer term solutions in this respect. Nope. I hear your, I hear your ambivalence about that and, uh, you explained it well and, um, it's worth wrestling with. Uh, I take your point. J. Chester Johnson, uh, the book is called Damaged Heritage, the Elaine Race Massacre and a Story of Reconciliation. Uh, Mr. Johnson, thank you uh, for this storytelling, which you did brilliantly today. Thank you for sharing with us. Uh, I wish you all the best in the coming months and years, sir. Thank you for your time. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been a delight. My great delight to have you on this program. Time to make room now for the KBLA Midday Money uh, chain up next, the Millionaires Roundtable with Lynn Richardson to be followed by ahead of the crypto curve with Naja Roberts. Old money, new money, either way, for the next couple of hours, we got you covered here on KBLA Talk 1580. Thanks for tuning in today. Back tomorrow morning, Lord willing to do it all over again. Until then, keep the faith.